Greetings, children, and dare you step inside the vegan abattoir. I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Oh, I've been gone. Yeah, I know. Welcome back. It feels nice to be let out of the box and brought back to the show, man. I fucking, I'll be honest with you, since I wasn't on it, I didn't even fucking listen. How? Well, I mean, I don't want to hear. What if you guys are good? What if you have great chemistry? And I'm like, they should do it together all the time. When you go back to work in Dallas, something tells me he's going to become your shotgun co-host for a while because you've got easy access to him. And he's got, I hate to say this as a father, easy access to you. Hey. (laughs) Uh, He's fucking been living here for six months. Let's be real. I think we have to to figure out a way to do it while I'm in Dallas. I figure, like Harley, for those who are like, what? Harley's going to go back to work. um, In a month. In a month. And it's in Dallas, um, which for those of you listening, Texas. (laughs) Texas. <laughs> so she's going to be out there and, and Austin's going to go with her. Um, you're going to be gone for a while, right? I'm going to be gone till March. The fuck? So wait, October, November, December. I'm sorry. I have to count with my hands. January, <laughs> February, March. That's five fucking months. Five months. Stay away from the uh, grassy knoll. Mm, good advice. Don't go anywhere near Texas school book depository. <laughs> Those are my two pieces of advice thank you I, I i think i'm good on those um don't drive around in a fucking ragtop car what do they call them convertible Con- <laughs> <laughs> yes a convertible i like dallas i'm a big fan of uh of denton which is very near dallas it's like a suburb i guess um they got a college there i don't know what college it is but where there's college there's generally civilization yeah like you'll probably find a whole foods i think there's a whole foods near me so Bang. I'm pretty set. Yeah, Dallas has it all, man. They fucking they they love hockey there. I don't know if there'll be any Do hockey they? while your shit's going on. Yeah, man, Dallas Stars and shit. More importantly, they have the best vegan food I've ever had in my life. The fuck? Yeah. What? We live in Los Angeles. It's better. There's this place. What's it called? Spiral Diner. And it is the most amazing food I have ever had. They have frito pies oh i fucking love frito pie but they do a vegan style mm-hmm. what with beyond meat or something or impossible meat i think so i can't remember oh, I've, I've, I've tried to forget about it because like nothing i was just about good. to shit all over dallas but now i want to go no now you want to go I I'm, I'm no I, I don't shit on dallas i like dallas the um but I'm, I'm down for that i'm gonna go to dallas we're uh i can't say why but we got some <laughs> things going on where harley's going to dallas to work and i'll actually be out there not too long after her uh, for a different thing altogether, not to do with her work and shit, lest she fucking have a meltdown. Be like, you're not in my show. <laughs> no. Um, just let them know when you get there, though, that I'm available. You know what? Fuck you. I'll let them know oh, when I get there. Oh, my God. <laughs> when, when I meet all your fucking friends in production and shit, I'll be like, just saying I'm in town for a little bit. If you need a cameo or a kevio, as we say. A kevio? <laughs> I'm going to be like, you can't, you don't want to work with my dad. He's really hard to work with. Don't tell him that. I got such a good reputation. <laughs> I um, well, I honestly, getting back on track feels like while you're there austin is probably your go-to cat but what you need to do though more more way more than like who's riding the other microphone is you'll need to keep up your interview mm-hmm. schedule i'm gonna try my absolute best i mean you got a bunch of people you can always grab cast members be like you you're in tv do you like vegetables or cow as long as you keep your interview schedule up, then it's easy to maintain the show. And then the rest is kind of, you know, the intro and the outro stuff is, you know, pretty easy going if it's 
me or him, or him, you know, both of us really well. And if it's him, it's even easier than like me with Zoom and all that shit and lesser quality sound, blah, blah, blah. So it makes sense. I would not be offended if you were like, um, Austin's going to take over while we're in Dallas. And when I get home, it can be you again. I'd be like, oh, okay. It will be a matter of trying to get you to sit down for a Zoom call. Mm. I feel like that will be a more difficult task is just getting you to with you get on the Zoom. I'll happily fucking do a Zoom call will with you. you. Yeah, fuck. especially because you're going to be gone. You got to remember, like, I mean... I have seen you like literally almost every day for the last like six months or more during quarantine. Prior to that, I saw you almost every fucking day of your life from the start. So, you know, if you go away, you know, to make a show, of course, I'm going to be like fucking way interested in like, hi, how are you? Tell me about your week. This is the longest I have ever been away away from home. Yeah. Yeah. Five months. Well, when we made reboot. But you were there. <laughs> you yeah. had a little thing we moved to do home with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is you leaving the family unit. How long was the Atlanta movie where you met Austin? That was a month. Um. All right. So yeah, man. Look at you. I'm a big girl now. <laughs> You're all grown up. 21. You're like I'm going off and making a TV show and shit. What's the show called again? It's called Cruel Summer. Yep. That wasn't. They good. didn't That's change it. It's it's Cruel Summer now. Fair enough uh harley goes off to make cruel summer um and cruelly leaves her fucking parents behind (laughs) oh god Um, what are you gonna do we'll have nothing to say to each other anymore (laughs) the only things we talk about are you (laughs) um and what will we do seriously no I don't want to know. So I was going to tell you. I don't want to know anymore. Every floor. I thought about it. Against your bedroom door. (laughs) No. No. Um, It is. uh, (laughs) Just to be wrong. Um, I will be out there to see you, though, which tells me that you you think she's going to fucking not go. You know what I'm saying? She'll definitely go. And then you get to have the best vegan food in the world. I can't wait to try it. Like, honestly, I'm down for a fucking vegan Frito pie and stuff. I felt bad because when I went to go shoot the pilot for Cruel Summer, I had never been to Texas and I definitely didn't have. Oh, you had some sort of bias to bring a bias with you? (laughs) I definitely maybe had some. These fucking hazies, man. They ain't gonna have no fucking vegan food. I'm being hay with the cows that the fucking everyone's got in every yard. Fucking 10 gallon hat wearing, fucking boot wearing, fucking Texas. <laughs> that wait, that was my voice. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was you though. That was my. <laughs> and when you got there, though, you found a different world altogether. The this best is vegan, remarkably food. like Los Angeles. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. Say You're like, that. look, they had Frito pie, they bro. Had Frito pie. It was not remarkably like Los Angeles. Somebody needs to go tell fucking Crossroads to whip up some vegan pie. And then you'll have no need to ever go to Texas again. I look forward to going. I can't wait to fucking try out that food. I'm getting on a plane. Harley's driving to Texas, Harley and Austin. It's like the beginning of a horror movie. What? Yeah. You're renting an RV? We're renting an RV. Kiss, kiss, eh? But who's driving? Austin. I mean... All right. Want to come? You know, in a way. <laughs> um, to be fair, of the two of you, 
he's the better choice to drive because he's a safe driver when it comes yeah. to that. No, he's for sure the better the better option. But still, it seems like an awfully... So what, you're leaving your vehicle behind? Um, I have to figure that part out. But we need to get an RV because, one, we have too much stuff. But two, cats. yeah, no, but not only the cats, cinnamon. So you are going to bring the rabbit. I think I am going to bring my rabbit. That will require bringing an RV. Um, so what, you're going to rent an RV? Did you look into it? Yes, we did. How much? It's actually kind of Yeah, it's expensive. very reasonable. Oh. No! <laughs> Is that right? Uh, but you're going to work, so. But it'll be great. You'll come and we'll have. I can't wait. Spiral Diner and it'll be. I'm coming to see you, but I am happy to have some vegan food while I'm there. Um, I am heading east tonight. Harley's driving, you know, a couple weeks in an RV, apparently. Who knew? <laughs> uh, to Texas. I'm getting on a, a flight and going to uh, Jersey, me and Jay, um, Mr. Germaphobe himself. So I feel safe in his company. Do you think he'll wear a hazmat suit? I have a hazmat suit in case you'd like one. Um, I was thinking about wearing it, but I wondered if, like, at security, they'd be like, yeah, take that off, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't fucking pat you down if you're wearing that fucking suit. I mean,. It's definitely a look, but I think that it's... The look don't bother me as much as the, you know, like, they're like, okay, in order for us to do our jobs, we need you to take your hazmat suit off and put it through the fucking machine. And then I'm like, well, what's the point? Then maybe bring the hazmat suit with you and then put it on once you go through security. Uh, Fair enough. I can maybe see myself doing that. I can can provide you also with... um, goggles i could provide you also with a face shield um i might take your goggles mom's already got me face shielded up mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah it's gonna be honestly the flight they're saying is not the riskiest it's just going to the airport yeah like the waiting flight is in not line. supposed to be bad flight they've actually got some filtration and stuff but we're going out there to open for the grand opening of movies and um that has vegan options with vegan <laughs> options so we're on brand with our show that's right so i was heading east um and now i know that my meals are fucking taken care of because i'm just gonna go to movies and grab a, a cow tipper with beyond burgers nothing to worry about now i know man but now you got me thinking about that the frito, frito pie. pie fuck that sounds good i can't even describe to you patty melts nachos so patty melt is just like a beyond burger with cheese on it yeah, but they made it so they, they didn't put it on special anything? here. It's really special. You're making me hungry. Stop talking about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, yeah, I'm headed east, man. I'll see. I'm sure I'm going to see some people who listen to the show at movies uh, or at the drive in show that me and Jay are doing on Friday night. Um, and then I'm going to, while I'm east, head down and see my mother who I haven't seen since the end of the tour back in New Orleans in February. She's in Florida. So naturally there's a lot of concern that I'm like Mm -hmm. not only going to one place, then I'm going to another place. And that second place is not known to be, you know, uh, (laughs) cured of COVID. No, nothing, no place is and stuff, but Florida of course has been really bad. But then again, we live in the state that was at one point the absolute worst. So true. You know, it's it's there's a little bit of consternation. That's but. how I felt about Texas. I, I at first I you got judgy where you're like, I ain't going to Texas. Yes. I got COVID there. I really didn't want to go at first because I was scared. You know, COVID was out your window going, hello. 
knocking on my door. Uh, yeah, things are so bad in LA when you drive around and see like the influencer young people type at restaurants and bars everywhere. It doesn't really matter anymore what state you're in. They're still like I, I'm on Running Canyon every day you know we're supposed to be the health nicks like if you're fucking hiking running can seven eight in the morning you're obviously give a fuck about something the way you look your health whatever mm-hmm. fuck but these cats man like honestly i would say there's a quarter of us in masks and the rest oh, of the people are maskless yikes. and you know there's like always 50 to 100 people hiking running canyon roughly the same time all of them not like breathing normally all of them like <sighs> Mm-hmm. And that's me, and I got my mask on the whole time. But a lot of cats here are not wearing masks. Where I'm like, aren't isn't this like supposed to be the progressive, you know, fucking smart state? Yeah, not. not so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna stay as absolutely safe as I can. As will you driving? You know, I I've, I've talked about driving to Jersey, but it, you know, I read an article where it's like it's probably safer to fly. I understand why you guys got to drive because you're bringing the fucking brood with you. Now you're seeing what it's like to have a family. I know I do. (laughs) You're like the way we brought you to uh, like New York to go shoot cop out and shit like that and uprooted you. That's what you're doing to the cat. That's how I feel. I I have to do what's best for my children (laughs) and they don't want to fly. But also since we're in an RV that has a bathroom and stuff, right. we don't have to stop at rest stops or anything. Ooh, that's is, a good point. Is that why you guys decided to do it? Yeah. which so it's And that and the rabbits and the cat. It's that's a lot good, safer than... So it has a shitter in it or a fucking piss hole? Yeah. <laughs> um, what an adventure you guys are going to go on. How sweet. Sounds like the beginning of a really scary horror movie. I know. <laughs> between here, like somewhere in Arizona, fucking you wind up in the hills have eyes and being chased around. Austin goes first. You, you're the are. last girl. You get to survive <laughs> till the end. You get to watch him die in front of you, but then you girl. can't even fucking mourn his death because you have to put your yeah. wits about you so you can fucking fight the creepy family that's trying to fucking eat you. And I appreciate You see them it. eating his foot and you're like, oh my God, he was my boy. He was my boy. <laughs> they are making a Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, so <laughs> perhaps well. we're going to be living, living the real it. life. <laughs> Did you ever see the original? Yeah. And what is the original to you? Not the one that Michael Bay produced a few years ago. No. I'm talking about like the hardcore indie from the fucking. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It's so unsettling. It's, it's the uh, it's the clerks of horror movies. It's r- Actually, real Clerks unsettling. is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of comedies. It's real real unsettling. Yeah. Because it's so fucking like not like it almost looks like a documentary because it's so like low budget. Yeah. I anywho. Did you ever watch two? Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. You should watch it before you go to Dallas. It's a good idea. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's such oh, a great movie. Nice. <laughs> it's very dark comedy. It was a completely different shift in tone. Same director, Toby Hooper did both. But with the second one, script was a little different and it was more knowing they made a sequel like years, 10 years or more after the original when they finally did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And the poster, if you look at the image for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, how they sold the movie. All the characters, which includes a dead person, Leatherface, Chopped Up, fucking Grandpa, um, and a giant chainsaw that says the Saw is family, and they're all in various states of bloody, you know, mess. They are posed exactly um, as all the kids on the Breakfast Club poster. Like, it has this wicked sense of humor to it. And two, 
they move into the fucking chili business, the Sawyer family. And of course, it's people in the chili. Oh my God. Yeah. No. And the whole third act like no. takes place in an abandoned theme no. park. Oh, it's fucking dumb. You should watch it. No. Really um, I mean, you. let me ask you that. You're, you're, uh, you know, vegan because you've, you're ethically vegan because you love animals. Are you about to ask if I would eat humans? Yes. <laughs> yes. You're on an island. No, an- all animals, nothing to eat, no vegetation, one dead, freshly dead body. A human body? Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> what do you eat instead? I might- I'll take the lemur. The lemur's like, no! <laughs> I'd probably just die at that point. The fuck? I wouldn't even- No, your instincts kick in. Try to save your life. Oh my God. Let me tell you something fucking heartbreaking. You don't, no. you haven't watched. Yes. No. You haven't watched Raised by Wolves, have, have you? No. You should watch it, but it'll break your fuck. There was a scene that I watched no. where I, I bawled. I broke down <laughs> crying. Oh. Speaking of Abattoir. And it was, well, it was about that. It was a total. Whoever wrote this episode was fucking total. Gotta be vegan. Well, maybe uh, not have to be vegan. Like I'm sure people animals. are like, it's creative writing. No, not really. There's a, like these creatures that attack him, which look kind of human and mm-hmm. shit. And they captured one and the android is trying to feed all these kids. They got no food. And he's just like, you know, we gotta, we gotta kill this thing and eat it and protein for all the, that, that'll keep everybody alive. Standard fucking, you know, yeah, pioneer shit that you gotta deal with and shit. So. He thinks it's a good time to teach the kids to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the kids range age from like seven to 18 because one day the androids won't be there to help them and teach them. So like they, as they have to un- learn, they have to learn how unpleasant this is, but like this is life or death and blah, blah, blah. And there's no vegetation. They used to eat these things that came out of the ground called carbos, but then they found out at the, they're like pineapple looking things, but at their root, <laughs> They were, they were like little nuclear fucking cells, like radioactive. So the kids were dying from eating these things. So there, it's not like just fucking eat. And the one kid campion, who's like the boy hero and shit, he's always trying to like, you know, just eat vegetables and shit. And he don't want to kill this thing to eat it and shit. So he refuses to do it. And then there's a pregnant girl who's like, you know, fucking carrying a baby like four months in or whatever. And so she's like fucking starving and eventually she takes a scalpel and she goes in and kills a creature. And the creature has like a, it looks like a horror movie, but its face is not snarly with fangs and shit. It has an oddly like simplistic human face or whatever. So she kills it and then she like pulls meat out and starts eating it, you know, to fucking cause she's so starved. And then all of a sudden she like breaks down and the android comes in and she starts screaming or she's upset. I don't know if she's screaming. She may be crying. And then she pulls out a fetus and she's like, it was a mother. It was a mother. And I was fucking bawling, bawling, dude. Even your mom got like glassy eyed. And I was like, whoever wrote this episode, total vegan. Or, <laughs> or a really great writer who's like, oh, I don't feel this way, but I'm just going to write this shit. Wow. Like, it was fucking powerful. I'm telling you, if I wasn't vegan by the end of that episode, that really would have pushed me into it where I'm like, that's, that's the most, one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen in a mass entertainment that made me stop and think. And all I could do in that moment, the only thing that kept me from sailing over the edge is that you took me into veganism 
almost three years ago so that I could sit there and be like, oh, my God, like, thank God I'll never have to face that kind of thing. Wow. The whole series is amazing. But that moment was so fucking harrowing. And she's because she's also a mother, too. So it was just like it really fucked with her head. So good. Um, All right. Now we're going to hand off from that to today's guest. Yes. Um, Who'd you talk to this week? Who'd you talk to? All right. um, So this week, our guest is Colleen Patrick Goudreau. Right on. What does she do? She She got a podcast, don't she? She does have a podcast. She has been podcasting for 15 years. Oh. I know. That's longer than me. I've been podcasting only since uh, 2007, so I'm 13 years. She's been doing 15? Yes. (laughs) Step aside. (laughs) She's amazing, man. That's a long track record. And she... She does cooking classes. She has cookbooks and uh, is the author of her newest book, The Joyful Vegan, um, where she sets people up for how to be a successful vegan. That's how I felt after the end of that episode of Raised by Wolves. I was a joyful <laughs> vegan. Man. I was like, oh, thank God I'll never be eating something and be like, there's a fucking fetus. That's so awful. heartbreaking. Anyway, back to <laughs> Colleen Goudreau. <laughs> You're really... Uh, <laughs> You're really making it emotional this week. It's really tough to get to. This. I'm sure the interview is real warm and wonderful. It too. is. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's let's hand are. off to Harley of the past, talking to Colleen Goodrow. Here we go. Hi, thank you so much for being here with me. Thanks, Harley. Congrats on your podcast. Congrats on everything. That's exciting. Thank you. I feel I feel honored to have you as a guest, somebody who is such an experienced podcaster. I feel I feel very humbled <laughs> to have you have you here with me. So thank you. You're welcome. But it's people with microphones. That's all. Yes. And just people with, with some nice mics. Um, <laughs> so uh, every guest I ask, how did you get here? What What is your vegan story? Where Where did you come into contact with veganism for the first time? Mm, I love that you asked that. I think it's such an important thing for us to share with each other. I, it's one of the things I do talk about in 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 my work and in my new book that I think it's such an important part of our journey is to tell our story, yeah. uh, not only because I think it helps other people relate to us, but it also helps us remember our story. And I think it's one of the things that vegans can forget. We know we all shape our stories, right? Whatever this, whatever the situation, whatever the topic, it doesn't just have to be around veganism. Mm-hmm. And we kind of land on a story and then we forget that there might be things we didn't include or things we forgot. So I think it's so important because it's so important for me, especially as someone who grew up eating animal flesh and fluids, as I say, uh, to remember that there was a time I did. And I, you know, I wasn't raised vegan. I didn't come into this world thinking, oh, it's wrong to eat animal products. I was like most people who grew up eating everything that was put in front of me and I loved animals at the same time. And I think it's so important for me to remember that my parents didn't feed me animals because, um, because they didn't care about me or care about animals. They fed me animals because that's what we do. Right. And that's what everybody else does. And that's what they learned to do. Uh, and, uh, and even though they supported my affection for animals, there's this 
obviously this disconnect, and we can talk about that, this willful blindness that we all participate in individually and socially and, you know, in our families. Um, but they did support my love of animals. And I always was someone I can say very much with accuracy that I always loved animals, even though I don't think you have to love animals to not want to hurt them. Mm. But I was one of these people who loved being around them, loved helping them, wanted to intervene if anybody was ever hurt. And I was eating them at the same time. I had no idea. I mean, I wasn't eating dogs. I was helping dogs. I was helping cats. Yeah. <laughs> we don't we don't eat dogs and cats in our culture, but I was eating other animals. And even the animals I would was brought to the zoo to admire, I was eating those animals, right? I was eating mm and cattle and chickens and uh, and even all the animals in the books that were read as children and the animals whose images are all over our pajamas and our lunch boxes and our um and our wallpaper and you know in every way we're encouraged to love animals uh, but we're also encouraged to eat them and so that was my story and i i'd like to say that it didn't bother me that i didn't have any scruples about it but of course i did and that's why as we get older we tend to make excuses about why we eat what we eat and so i was one of those people who you know i made excuses and then as i got older and met other people who were vegetarian and i would make my own excuses about why i ate animals clearly i was not comfortable with eating animals or i wouldn't have had to make excuses um, for that mm -hmm. so uh so i did and then somehow i don't know probably around the age you are now a little younger I uh, read Diet for a New America. And that was one of the first books that came out that talked about the, the ill effects of uh, animal agriculture on our health, on the animals and on the environment by John Robbins. And it was the first thing that I saw that opened my eyes, started to open my eyes because I continued to eat uh, uh, eggs and dairy and fish, but it at least opened my eyes around the uh, conditions under which land animals were raised and, and, and slaughtered. But I just didn't make the connection between the eggs and the dairy and the fish. And I think that happens for a lot of people. There's kind of this process that we all go through and it often starts with land animals. For some people, it might just be cattle. For some mm -hmm. people, it might be pigs, pork, what have you. And so for me, it was kind of all land animals. And then I just kept reading and I kept bearing witness. And over the years, uh, I just kept learning more and knowing more. And then I read, <laughs> I read the the book that just completely floored me, which is a book called Slaughterhouse. And these were the books that shaped me and shaped my thinking. And so Slaughterhouse was by Gail Eisnitz or is by Gail Eisnitz. She's an investigative journalist. And she went into slaughterhouses as part of a whistleblowing uh, whistleblower uh, who um who reached out to her about the, the fact that there were no inspectors, you know, basically making sure that quote unquote humane slaughter happens in these slaughterhouses. And so she interviewed all these slaughterhouse workers and that book for me, the reason it had such an impact on me is because it just made me understand the inherent violence in raising and killing animals for human consumption, because however they're raised, if they could be on the happiest farm, whatever you want to say, they could be on the, in the happiest place. They could be in a factory farm, whatever it is. By the time they get to slaughter, it's a nightmare and it's a nightmare for them. It's a nightmare for the people who are doing this slaughter. Uh, and that's what made an impression on me was that I'm supporting this inherent violence that you can't have this without having inherent violence. And then how that affects the slaughterhouse workers and how it affects their families and how it affects their psyches and what it does to the animals, because 
because when you're desensitized to suffering, when you're desensitized to violence, you do to the victim whatever you want because it's unchecked, because no one's watching, because you don't care, because you don't even see them as living, feeling beings. And so the horror of that book and the horror of that desensitization that so many slaughterhouse workers experience, who is like, that was it. Like that was enough. And that was when I had what I would call just kind of my my awakening. And that was, I don't know, 21 years ago now. Wait, I'm not 40. So no, that was, yeah, I was, I was older than that. I was probably 30. Um, I was probably 29 when I read that book or 28. And that was the final thing. And so, so yeah, that's, that was the journey for me. And it's been, uh, you know, the journey's not over it's still, it still continues, but that's what, that's what spurred me to become become vegan. And I, I like to say that I didn't become vegan as much as I removed the barriers to Mm. the compassion that had been inside of me all along, because I didn't become someone I wasn't. I just became actually more actualized as the person I already was, because I already was someone who cared. I already was someone who was compassionate. I already was someone who would never hurt anyone. uh, But I wasn't manifesting that fully in my behavior as manifesting it mostly. I wasn't going around killing people. I wasn't going around killing animals, (laughs) right? But but there was that disconnect. And so for me, becoming vegan wasn't becoming something. And it's an expression we use that I'm very interested in because we say becoming vegan as if we're becoming something different. But honestly, I think it's more of just getting rid of the barriers and the blocks to the thing that really is the most authentic uh, thing about us, which is our compassion. You're really making me think right now. (laughs) It's just, it's such a good point because I feel the same way. I, I've loved animals all my life. I used to think that loving animals translated to me going to see them at the zoo every mm-hmm. week. And obviously now I know that's that's not how it works and those animals shouldn't be there. But at the time, I just knew that I loved animals. I wanted to be around them. I wanted to see them. Mm. And I thought that I could show that by going to visit them at Mm. places that I later found out they were being held captive. Mm. And I also think that I I like what you said about the Slaughterhouse book, this idea that animals could live this happy life right up until they get slaughtered because there's this whole thing about humane meat, which to me has never made sense because that just those are two words that don't go together Mm. at all humane Mm -hmm. and meat and a lot of people are under the assumption that there is an ethical way to obtain meat and that's not really true i i remember i mean not to call anybody out but i i was at this event for the aspca and i i didn't really know that they weren't about veganism there mm-hmm. <laughs> um there for people who don't know uh they rescue dogs and cats that's kind of their their mission which is really important too but i just had assumed early on in my journey with veganism that anybody who supported animals in any way from an organization standpoint had to be vegan that's I, that was an assumption i had that was later proven false but that's how i thought before and um I remember at their event, it was for spay and neutering, and I went to go look at the food, and it was meat. But on on the meat, like there were signs that was like humane chicken or whatever, and that has stuck with me ever since because I was like, 
I was at an, an event for animals, but you were serving me other animals. It just doesn't make any sense. For sure. And, you know, and so one of the reasons I think for me, it's been so important to tell that aspect of my story that I loved animals and didn't realize I was contributing to violence against them is because I was a compassionate person. And I think it's really tempting for those of us who, quote unquote, become vegan, who then look at everybody around us and we want to put a label on them and we want to, you know, we, we're, we're just, it's easy to say, well, then they're not, they're not compassionate. That's not compassionate as if the, as if a, this is the only way to be compassionate. Um, obviously people who are rescuing dogs and cats are compassionate, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that is a, that is an aspect of compassion that isn't a manifestation of it. The point is, is that we all believe we're compassionate. We all believe we're good people. If we didn't believe we were good people, we wouldn't have to create these, uh, we wouldn't have to create these excuses. And so, so when we're, when that belief about our compassion or goodness is threatened, we have a choice. And that's usually threatened when we're confronted with something like, oh my God, I'm contributing to harm against animals. And in this case, it's such an egregious way we contribute to harm against animals, you know, literally bringing them into this world only to kill them. Like we bring them into the world <laughs> to take yeah. them out of it, right? So that we can then eat their their bodies or eat their fluids. And so when we're confronted by that, we have two options. We could we could change our because because we see that and then we think, but we're good. I'm a good person. Why would I do that? I would never do that. I would never hurt my dog. I would never hurt my cat. Uh, 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 that's horrible. I can't, I can't stand that. That's terrible. So, okay. Now we're confronted with, okay, we can either change our behavior to align with our belief system, which is I'm a good person, or we change our belief system. We change our thinking about our behavior. And that's what humane meat does for us. That's what all of those labels do for us. Because at an ASPCA event, they know that the people who are there are already thinking of themselves as good people. They're Mm. there because they care about dogs and cats being rescued, saving them. And so of course they need to frame it. We all need to frame our behavior in a way that still holds us in that light that we're good people. So we have to do that for our own, literally for our own uh, survival, or at least for our own, uh, to keep the status quo that we still believe that we're good people. Because if it's pushed enough, then we have to change our behavior. We can't, there's nowhere to hide, right? So we have to believe that there's something humane, that there's a way to do it humanely because we want to believe that we're still good people because we don't want to hurt anybody because most of us don't wake up in the morning thinking, I, how can I hurt the most number of animals in the <laughs> most horrific way? Right. Nobody wakes up thinking that. People wake up thinking I'm a good person. I'm going to do good, you know, whatever. Or they, or they don't think that they're bad people, put it that way. And so everything we do throughout the day has to support that, including how we label the things we're doing, obviously not just the the food we eat, not just the animals we eat, but everything we do so that we don't have to change because, and I'm convinced of this, Harley, I'm convinced that veganism doesn't scare people as much as change does. Hmm. People are scared to death of change. We are creatures of habit. We don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. We, we've been told our whole lives, whether we're 20 or 
80. We've been told, or 15, whatever, it doesn't matter. We've been told from the, from the time we were able to process this information that we need animal products to survive and to thrive. And that if we don't have them, we're not going to be healthy and that it's normal for us to do so. And that it's natural for us to do so. And people have been doing so for thousands of years. Like these are all the things we've been told. So to challenge that is to quite literally mean that we're going against everything we've ever believed and everything everyone around us believes. And so who wants to do that? Like who wants to be right? Right. You know, not aligned with our family, our friends to be outside the status quo, to not fit in, to, you know, to limit our food choices, to make things difficult for us to be, you know, to be the butt of, you know, stupid jokes. I mean, who wants to walk into that? Nobody wants to walk into that. And so the anticipation that that's what it's going to look like is, I think, what keeps people from being vegan. It's not that they don't think they're going to have delicious food. They already eat plant foods. They know that plant foods, you know, exist (laughs) and, and are delicious. But I think it's the change because I think so much of this has to do with our, the social aspects and how we fit in to society or to the cultural groups that we belong to. That's so true. Because I mean, when you do decide to go vegan or remove the barriers that mm-hmm. we- <laughs> it takes longer to say that yeah, to say. That's why becoming vegan is shorthand but i like yeah. i like it that way <laughs> i like yeah, i sure. think that's such a good way to put it um but either way you do kind of have this preconceived notion of what it could be like because you're right vegans have been the butt of the joke or i mean a lot of people feel negatively about vegan veganism just because i think of what exactly what you were saying i think a lot of people don't like veganism or think that they don't like veganism or for some reason have something against vegans or want to make fun of vegans whatever it is because i think that you're so right that idea of change is where this anger or a mean attitude, whatever it is. Or uncertainty. I think a lot of it isn't just it's going to suck on the other side. I think a lot of it is I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. Right. I know what my life looks like right now. I know where to go to eat. I know what foods to pick. I know what to shop for. I know what to cook. I know what to expect when I go to my family. I know what to expect on the holidays. I know what to expect when I'm traveling, right? So there's mm-hmm. all this certainty. And I think because veganism, right, we'll just call it this thing as if it's so different when I don't think it's that different, but it is a shift. I think it's the uncertainty of what's going to be on the other side of it that scares people. That's why so many of us who get on the other side, we're like, oh, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) If I had just known this earlier, and that's why we as ambassadors, just the best we can do is just be the best ambassadors of the joy and the honesty and the compassion that comes with living in alignment with our values. That's the best we can do so that other people look at that and go, oh, I'm curious about that. Can you tell me more about that? Um, so that it just doesn't feel so overwhelming to people. I mean, that that is what I've always aspired to do is just help it feel a little less overwhelming. And I think you do such an amazing job with that. You show people in so many different aspects that it's possible and inspire people in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You so have obviously had your food for thought podcast very very successful podcast for a long time of which lots of people listen to you're helping so many people um where where did that idea come from what made you want to start a podcast mm. 
Yeah, God, it has been, I was thinking today, it's been since, this is, this is 2004. Wow. I mean, it's insane. I mean, this is before, podcasts have finally hit their stride and I'm really happy about that. But this is before there were even, I didn't even know what a podcast was when I started. I really didn't even know what a podcast was when I started doing a podcast. <laughs> As just kind of a natural advocate, I've I've always just kind of sought out the mediums in which I could work so that I could you know, spread the news so I could share the information that I had so I could inspire people. And so I had been teaching cooking classes. I'd been teaching vegan cooking classes at a Unitarian church, actually, here in Oakland. And that was just because it's a, it's a, I mean, I'm not part of it anymore, but it's a very social justice oriented um, church, if you will, the Unitarian Universalists. And and so I had started uh, tabling there. I had started a, a, a group there to raise awareness about animal issues. I started teaching vegan cooking classes. And then I made a DVD. This is, again, tw- like 16, <laughs> I don't even know how many years ago, because that's what you did then. You made a DVD because now we can just do it with our phones. But I don't know if you, have you heard of that DVD? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's been a moment, but Yes. <laughs> So I made a cooking DVD and then it was like, oh, okay, I don't really, that was a lot of work and a lot of money to raise to do that. So I was talking to the folks that were my kind of co-producers and directors for that DVD. And, uh, and, and one of them said, you really ought to do a podcast. And I said, I think it's a brilliant idea. I really want to get the word out. I really want to share this. I want to tell people more and I'm going to do it. Can you just tell me what is a podcast? So that was kind of my attitude of like, I'm going to do this. Yes. But, but what is this? How does it work? And so I started the way I do everything, which is what do I want to say? What do I want to share? And so I've always written out my whole podcast. So they're basically kind of essays. Yes. (laughs) So I have the transcripts to every podcast I've ever produced because they're basically essays. I'm writing them obviously for a listening audience. So I'm mindful of that. But I started with protein because that's the biggest misconception. Of course, there's still lots of misconceptions, but I figured let's start there. And I started with, you know, the myth about protein. And that was the first episode I did. And people started listening and people started supporting the podcast and subscribing to the podcast. And so that was just a medium that I, I've always loved. I've always loved audio. I've always loved radio. And, uh, and so th- that's how it started. And now here I am, I guess 16. That can't be. I started in 2006. Maybe I started in 2000. I can't even believe it's that long. But anyways, 15 years or whatever it is. And so that's what I still seek out is just what are the best ways that I can reach people to share the inspiration and the information that would help them align their values, um, their behavior with their values. Since you mentioned it, could you just give a, a, a little snippet of the the reality of protein for vegans. Mm. Well, can you just give me your opinion since this is such a obviously controversial subject? <laughs> it's so sad. One of the people who, one of the myths is that we have to combine proteins, right? Like you can't get a complete protein. I mean, that's one of the biggest myths. And it's really sad because uh, Frances Moore LePay, when she wrote her best-selling book, Diet for a Small Planet, which was about how to make sure a hungry world gets fed, she mistakenly talked about the fact that we need to combine the different amino acids from different foods to get a complete protein. And 
in the second edition, she said, that was a mistake. That's not true. But no one apparently read the second edition. And mm. that is has stuck. I mean, it's just stuck from the, like the 70s. So the idea that we can't get a complete protein. So I think what I would say kind of higher level than just getting into the specifics about amino acids, the higher level is we do not suffer from diseases of deficiency in the developed world. We suffer from diseases of excess. Everything that's killing, let's say Americans or even just Westerners now, everything is heart disease, it's diabetes, it's cancer. These are diseases of excess. And in fact, hundreds of years ago, these were given the title diseases of civilization. Because once you start settling down, once you make more money, once you have security, then you can afford forward what are considered luxury items. And those are the meat, dairy, and eggs. It's the animal products. That's why it's such a joke that people think that being vegan is expensive. We know that actually eating meat, dairy, and eggs cost a hell of a lot to produce. uh, And it it obviously wreaks havoc on us, both from a health perspective and and spiritually, Mm -hmm. in terms of what we're doing to the animals and to the earth. So the costs are pretty high uh, of eating animal products. But the point is, these these are the diseases we contend with. We don't have scurvy. We don't have <laughs> epidemics of scurvy. We don't have epidemics of rickets. We don't have epidemics of quashioricor, which is the technical scientific term for protein deficiency. Nobody would go to any hospital in the United States and find a quashioricor ward in the hospital. You don't know any quashioricor specialists because that's not our problem. Right. So the problem isn't protein deficiency. The problem is that we're getting too much of all of the things that are detrimental to our health in the meat, dairy, and eggs, etc fat, the dietary cholesterol, and the animal protein. So more problems are caused by excess of animal protein than by any you know, kind of myth that we have uh, protein deficiency. And so look, if you're eating like potato chips all day, every day for months and months, mm-hmm. yeah, you might develop a protein deficiency, but nobody eats like that. If you're just eating a variety of foods and a variety of whole plant foods, the amino acids that build the proteins are in all foods. They're in all foods. You're just eating a variety of foods all day. You will get what you need. So we don't have to obsess over these single nutrients. That's a real... That that came probably about a hundred years ago in the diet in the dietary world is that we had to like focus on single nutrients and a lot of that had to do with the supplement industry. So we focus on these single nutrients. When I'm going to tell you right now, Harley, nobody walks around saying, "Right now, I feel like I'm lacking some." I don't know, whatever, name name a nutrient, a micronutrient or a macronutrient. Nobody can tell that they're lacking protein or that they're lacking an amino acid or that they're lacking omega-3 fatty acids. No, right. you can't. Our bodies are smart enough to assimilate all the nutrients it gets from all of the foods that we eat. So we can just relax about that. But the myth pervades and and it's pervasive and it and it's persuasive and it still makes people afraid. It still makes people afraid. So I don't know. We just probably have to go through a couple generations of people who clearly demonstrate that it's not an issue so that myth starts to diminish. And it just might take, it really might take a few generations until we're not obsessed over that anymore, to be honest. How did that myth come about? It's clearly the complete opposite of what a lot of people think or assume. I constantly get asked, well, how do you get your protein? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. 
And clearly that's just not even accurate information. That's just a myth. I think it is an example of what happens when you need to react against something. So, so, and, and I, and I'll encourage you to do a, a little, you know, experiment. If you asked that person who asked you, where do you get your protein and what protein, like, you know, what is protein made of and how many grams of protein did you get every day today? They wouldn't be able to answer you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's only when they're confronted by the thing that opposes their way of thinking that they ask that question. Now, I also think it's also a knee jerk question that most people don't really believe is an issue. And I say that, and I know it sounds probably wackadoodle to say that, but I don't believe most people are walking around worried that they're not going to get, um, or that I, I certainly know that they're not walking around worried that vegans aren't getting enough protein. So yeah. I don't really think that that's the issue. <laughs> I think what they're really asking is this is so different than I'm familiar with. I've been told I'm supposed to get protein. So, you know, so what is this thing all about and, and how do you do this and what do you eat? And, I'm curious too. And I think those are the moments when people are asking the questions that vegans have heard a million times. I really encourage other vegans to step back and say, wait a second, this might be the first time this person is asking that question, even though I've heard it a million times. So let me take it seriously and let me really, you know, let's talk about this because if I just dismiss it as, oh my God, I can't believe they believe this too. This is absolutely ridiculous. Are you serious? Do you really, do you real? do I look pro, like if we get defensive, if we don't really understand that they're, they're, you know, maybe they've never asked this question before, then we're missing an opportunity to, to, to give them accurate information. And that's why I don't, I don't talk about like, I don't think you have to get a degree in nutrition um, and you don't have to be a dietitian to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. If you just help people understand that the nutrients we need, or at least if you just express, can't help, you know, do the best to get them to understand it. But the truth is the nutrients we need are plant-based. Everyone's been taught that the nutrients we need are animal-based. That is where, I mean, and, and again, that's, that's come from the meat, dairy, and egg industries as well, too. They're brilliant at marketing. So to answer your question, a lot of it's coming from that. A lot of it's just coming from old science that hasn't been, that just hasn't been replaced in the public consciousness. So a lot of it's old science, a lot of it's the marketing of the meat, dairy, and egg industries. And a lot of it is just this myth that people hold. And some of it is just, they don't know what else to say when they meet a vegan. <laughs> they just right. figure that's the question to ask. Um, <laughs> but if we can really convey that the nutrients we need are plant-based, that right now we're going through the animals to get to the nutrients that the animals get because the animals eat plants, then we can feel very confident about talking about nutrition without being a nutritionist. So we need to skip the middle animal. The reason, you know, cattle and cows, specifically dairy cows have calcium in their bodies is because they eat grass. I mean, Mm. they're supposed to eat grass. They don't eat grass because they're kept on feed lots. They're kept on dry lots, but they're feed is supplemented with calcium. That is literally what is done to ensure that the milk that they produce is calcium rich. But ideally, these are foraging animals. They would eat the greens that produce the calcium. Calcium isn't found in cows. Calcium is a mineral that's found in the ground. So (laughs) if there's a plant that's been grown in the ground and that's what it means to be a plant. That means they're taking up all the nutrients from the soil, which is the minerals, it's the magnesium, it's the calcium. And so why would you go through a cow to get to the calcium? Like that makes 
absolutely no sense to go through the cow to get to the nutrients that they got because they ate plants. So if you can convey that to people and continue to convey that to people, and again, we just need to be consistent uh, in that, then I, you know, again, I do think it's going to take, I think it's going to take generations, but I think it'll eventually happen. We just might not be here to, to see it. And it's <sighs> happening. I mean, it's happening slowly. It is happening slowly. That's why if you just, if you just, you know, if you just didn't answer that question, if you said, well, where do you think I get my protein? If that was your response, where do you think I get my protein? They would stop and they would say, well, probably like beans and nuts and I don't know, greens. And you'd go, yeah, you already know where I get my protein. And that's where you're <laughs> getting your protein as well. You're not only eating animal products, you're getting the nutrients from, from the plant foods you eat too. So we don't have to always feel like we have to have all the answers to this stuff. If we mirrored back to people what they're asking to us, I, I bet we'd find a much different answer than we, than we would have thought in the first place. I love that. That's so true. I think, I mean, I'm definitely going to try that out for, from now on and see what they experiment. say. <laughs> yeah, it is a fun experiment. <laughs> um, and you obviously know a lot about food because you teach these cooking classes now as well on your website. Mm. That that's so great because I I always I well before I say anything, I can't cook at all. So <laughs> I I always really admire vegan advocates or activists who are talking the talk but also walking the walk by showing people directly this is what you can do to ad- adopt a more vegan lifestyle. Here are the steps you can take. And here, here is an instructional video on how you can cook what I'm eating. Um, I always admire people who do that because you really are showing people that a vegan lifestyle is obtainable. It's, it's not a far off reach. Um, so how, how did you decide that you wanted to start doing these cooking classes? And why is it important to you? to show people that it's possible to make vegan foods that taste good. Right. That tastes good. That's the, that's right. That's the, the big part. Good. <laughs> it's a big part, but it's also that are familiar. And mm. so the, the recipes that I've always developed and have always been and shared have always been foods that are familiar. You know, my cookbooks, yes, they're called vegan this and vegan that, but the recipes themselves, it's just called polenta or it's called bagels or it's called pancakes. It's not vegan pancakes because there's nothing, it's not a special category of food, right? Right. So I have always sought to to demystify this idea that you've got like regular food over here and vegan food over here. You don't have a separate food group. It's called plants, right? So (laughs) I have always sought to demystify that. And honestly, you said it in the showing people, I I needed the why from the, from, from, and I think we all need the why, but really I think what enables people to make the change and for it to stick is the how. Hmm. And I think for too long, vegans really underestimated the need to be shown how to make the change, the change we were talking about before and, uh, and that though they don't have the skill. So I taught cooking classes as an extension of my animal advocacy back to, quite, it was 20 years ago because as I was tabling and I was, you know, doing street TV and showing slaughter videos on the streets of Berkeley, 
people would come up and say, I don't want to be part of this, but how do I cook? And where do I shop? And what about the holidays? And what about when I travel? And of course, they'd ask about protein and the nutrients. And I thought, well, this is one aspect of what I can do, but I have to show them how. Now they see why, but Mm -hmm. I have to show them the how. And so I was not trained in the culinary arts, but I knew enough to say, all right, I'll just, just like with the podcast, I'm like, all right, I'll do a podcast. I'm like, all right, I'll teach cooking classes because people need to know how. And so I taught them for many years, both on my own and then through other, you know, kind of doctors I was teaching for different, different organizations, but I stopped a few years ago because it's so much work Hmm. to, I mean, if I don't have my own, you know, school, it's just too much work to just lug everything and unpack and set up and not do the dishes and pack back. It's just a lot of work. Right. And so but I missed the classes. I mean, I have enough work to do with the books I write and the podcast and the, you know, the, the, the work that I do and the, 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 the lectures I used to travel and, and give, but, but I missed the classes because people just love learning like in the classes. And so uh, when, when the lockdown happened, once the pandemic hit, it's just something occurred to me. And I had, I had done a conference. I had actually produced my, I I do a, I was doing a a joyful vegan conference every year in person, but last year I did it, or actually it was the beginning of this year. I did it online. Oh, wow. And it wasn't, it was right before the lockdown. It was in February, but I had enough knowledge then to do this conference on zoom that gave me the confidence in April to say, I'm going to start, let me, let me just throw out a class. Let me just see if people are interested. And oh my God, Harley, they've been every week, every (laughs) week teaching the classes, which has been great, but it's, it's, so it's a lot of work, but it's so much better because whereas before I had to secure the space and make sure I had enough people to justify the cost of renting the space. Now people can join quite literally uh, like, you know, 15 minutes before the class starts and the amount of food I make isn't, isn't, relative to the number of people who sign up. So mm-hmm. people can join from wherever they are around the world. And uh, I have two cameras set up so they can see the food on the counter and they can see me talking. And then I um, am able to offer the classes as on-demand classes once they're over. So it's been so much fun to, again, kind of take all of the different you know skills that I've learned over the years and the different mediums I like to work in. Because as much as I like audio, I also like video and I love teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be able to do that all together um, right from my own home for my own kitchen has been a lot of fun high five to you for (laughs) for making it work in these weird times i i started this podcast right at the start of quarantine too because i i still wanted to you know be involved in the vegan community i always am but you know wanted to to be talking to more vegans and and trying to make more of an impact i didn't know how to do it from my home so i i came up with this podcast and I think that's the best thing that we can do is figure out what we can do in this moment to help to help animals or to help other people re- remove those barriers to becoming vegan mm-hmm. and I think it, it's so important to lead by example and make videos where you can show people how to make these delicious vegan foods or have these conversations with fellow vegans where we're talking realistically about the truth of, of, of animal cruelty and, and how easy it really could be to transition to a vegan lifestyle. That's the best 
that we can do is just lead by example so that when other people are able to remove those barriers for themselves, we're here and we're like, hey, we have, we have, we have cooking videos and we have podcasts and we have all this information for you when you're ready, when you want to make that step. We're here for you. Exactly. Thank you. And, and that's the point too. And I hope every, I hope every advocate is listening because there's room for all of this and we need all of this. And there's a tendency as humans, but also as vegans to <laughs> criticize one person or group for doing one thing and another for not doing this and them doing that. And this is the right way to do it. And that's the wrong way to do it. And we tend to do that when the truth is we don't know what's going to inspire somebody and we don't know what someone's going to be attracted to. Someone might not want to watch me or listen to me, but they're going to want to listen to you. Someone might not want to take a cooking class, but they're going to want to watch a, you know, a video, a slot. I mean, we just don't know. And we we need we need everybody doing the work that they feel is is right and motivating and inspiring and authentic because if it's authentic to you right you doing this podcast is authentic for you harley then it's going to that's going to come out in the podcast and people are going to resonate. It's going to resonate with people because it just feels right. But if I try to do something that doesn't resonate, like that doesn't speak to me or that isn't conducive to my personality because someone else told me this is what I'm supposed to do as an activist, it's not going to feel right and it's not going to feel good. And the people on the other side of it are going to also know that and feel it. So I think we have to do what feels authentic and do the best we can. And we might try one thing and it might not be the thing and you might try something else and you can do many things at the at once and that will change as well. But we need everybody doing everything because everyone responds to different things. That's so true. And just how you were saying it, it, it was those two books that, that led you mm -hmm. to veganism. It, it really differs for every single person because there are so many different types of media about veganism too. There are undercover investigation. I can't say this word. <laughs> undercover <laughs> investigations. Um, videos of, of those, uh, that a lot of people watch. And that is what opens their eyes because it, it is a terrifying look into the reality for farmed animals. And so for a lot of people, those videos are what makes them take the extra step. But some people are the complete opposite. Like myself, I, I did not want to watch any of those videos at all. And I, I'm so thankful that they exist. I'm so thankful um, for these investigators that are dedicating months of their lives to, to finding out the truth and to getting it on video. And I, I'm so thankful for that. But for me, that just like was not it at all. I did not want to see that because I knew it existed and I really did not want to see the images or have them in my head. But for me, it, it was other things like, you know, going and having really amazing vegan food here um, in L.A. with my friends and being like, oh, I love the community surrounding veganism. And this is I, I'm doing this for the animals, but also the people involved with veganism are so amazing. And I'm so excited to be a part of this community. There are so many different things that can inspire people. And you have obviously written many books, many wonderful cookbooks and, and books alike. And your most recent book, The Joyful Vegan, I love that on the cover it says how to stay mm -hmm. vegan in a world that wants you to eat meat, dairy, and eggs. 
And the fact that it's just called the joyful vegan, because you are putting this positive mentality out into the world. And I think people can feel it. I mean, I can definitely just feel it talking to you and, you know, looking at all your work. There's an approach to veganism that I have as well, which is just from the, the point of compassion, which I think is the core of veganism. I mean, for me, my belief is to be compassionate towards all living beings. And so I always try to lead with compassion for veganism. And sometimes I think people forget that that, and I forget too, that that's really the core of this all. And it's, it seems like you feel the same way as I do, just wanting to put out this positivity. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's again, authentic for me. That's who I am is uh, I wouldn't have stayed vegan this long. I wouldn't be doing this if it didn't feel good. And I want people to see that aspect of what if, what it looks like to wake up every day, manifesting your deepest values. Like that's pretty amazing. Like it's like, there's not a lot of things we could do on a daily basis. There's not a lot of issues that we could care about that on a daily basis we can manifest, right? Uh, you know, I could be against the death penalty, but what can I do on a daily basis besides, you know, write some letters and, you know, you know, support organizations. You know, mm -hmm. I, I might be uh, for, uh, you know, against, I, I don't know, name it like, you know, destruction of forests, but what can I do every day, right. you know, to make sure that forests aren't being cut down? I could go put my body in front of a tractor. Sure. But like yeah. every day, like to be able to manifest the value that I don't believe, you know, that, that animals are put here for me, that I don't believe anybody should suffer so that I could have some convenience foods that, like to be able to manifest that every day. There's such an alignment and a power in that to wake up every day and knowing that I'm aligning my values, my deepest values of compassion and kindness with my behavior. That's empowering. And that brings me joy. And so it's always been about joy for me. It's always been about that. And that's what I've always conveyed because that's what the truth is for me. That doesn't mean that there's not sadness. It doesn't mean that there's not, uh, horrors to talk about. And I do talk about it. That I do talk about that as well. But the core of my work and the core of my life is about, is about joy and compassion. And so that's what I've tried to spread. And so I, you know, again, I can only do my work and then trust that people will be attracted to that. Not everybody will, but some will. And so someone sees a book or here's, you know, here's someone called the joyful vegan. Well, that's going to maybe attract some people. In the beginning, a lot of people are not attracted to that. They're attracted to the anger. They're attracted to, to the, you know, the injustice. They're attracted to that, that, that feeling of outrage because of the injustice. Mm -hmm. And so they're not attracted to the injustice. They're attracted. To, it's the outrage that is dominant for them. And so, uh, and so what started happening for me as I was, as I was talking about this, you know, over the years in, in my work is that I would hear from so many people who would start sharing their stories with me. Like I said in the beginning, I love hearing people's stories. And I started just making these connections that there's these threads that we can draw, like, that everybody relates to. That's why it's so interesting, right? Like we have this word called vegan. We have this thing like, 
that like even before I knew anybody who was vegan or knew what veganism was, right? Mm-hmm. I keep saying it that way because it's it, it's a funny thing to me. Because to me, it's not the end; it's the means to an end. the mm. The end for me is compassion. The means to get there is veganism. Mm. Um, so, so, but we had this thing. Like I didn't know about what I didn't know this thing called vegan existed, but I just knew that I didn't want to hurt anybody, and I didn't want to be part of a system that hurt that hurt animals, and so. We all like we we orient toward this compassion. We all orient toward doing the right thing. We all orient toward, you know, not hurting anybody. It's just that it doesn't manifest itself in the same way for everybody at the same time. And so I just started seeing these threads and I just felt like it was important to to talk about what these threads were so that people who go through this experience, who remove the barriers to the compassion that's always been inside of them say, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, I can relate to that. Oh, you mean it's normal for me to feel angry? Oh, you mean it's normal for me to feel guilty and remorseful that I once ate animals? Oh, you mean it's nor it's it, other people feel this way too? So that's why I wrote that book is so that people go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that other people experience this too. And what I do in that book also is caution people with each of those threads, which each of those I call them stages, to say if you don't manage these aspects of this process, you could forget and you could go back to being asleep and you could go Mm -hmm. back to putting blocks up to your compassion. So for instance, you know, nothing wrong with anger, but sustained anger, not sustainable, right? Like prolonged anger, not Mm -hmm. sustainable, doesn't feel good. And it, it doesn't make people attracted to you and it doesn't make you very attractive to just to yourself. Like it just doesn't feel good. So, okay. Anger is okay. Let's talk about anger, but let's also talk about letting go of prolonged anger and how to manage the sadness and how to manage that outrage that we feel when we see animals being hurt. Right. So that's an example like anger, normal. Okay, great. Good to know that. Hey, prolonged anger. we got to manage that. Oh, okay. Awesome. Because if we don't, there are consequences aside from our own mental instability, um, but also possibly stopping being vegan. And I know it's something that a lot of vegans don't like to talk about because we want to just say, if someone stopped being vegan, they never cared in the first place. Or if yeah. someone stops being vegan, they, they did it for their health and they didn't do it for the animals. And it's like, really? You can say that. But if we don't really understand why people stop being vegan, then we're never going to be able to help them stay vegan. And so that's what I wanted to talk about in that book. And so that's why that's why it exists. I love that you've created kind of like a backup system for people (laughs) just in case it doesn't work out for them because it does happen a lot. And uh, I mean, a lot of people when they're first going vegan make mistakes. I did for sure for the first few months. I definitely made mistakes. And looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. I did that, but mm-hmm. in the moment, I, I, I wanted to eat a pizza that w- had dairy cheese on it. And mm-hmm. so I did it. And people do make mistakes. And I, I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind that that will probably happen. And that's definitely okay. It's the, the most important part is that you're attempting this. It, it's kind of a big change. You're attempting this big change to be a more compassionate human or to access that compassion. And that's something you should be so proud of. That's a, that's a really big accomplishment and an even bigger accomplishment if you can stay with it. But still, just attempting it 
is is huge on its own or you know contributing in any way you can like meatless mondays i always say that i feel like i say that every single episode of this <laughs> podcast but i just well, like to remind people that it's okay it, it's okay if you can't achieve full veganism at first that's that's what happens to a lot of people and you should be proud that you are trying it out and whatever you can contribute really helps and it matters and you should be proud of yourself for that i love that well those who have been following my work know for years know that my motto is don't do nothing because you can't do everything do something mm. anything because the idea that people you know, people get overwhelmed by this change as we talked about and so when they think they can't do everything they do nothing and so the idea that they have to do everything perfectly from the start that that's that's literally a non-starter for people it quite literally is they're going to be like no i i can't do this perfectly i can't do this i'm not you know i'm not perfect this is too impossible mm. uh, so i'm not going to do anything at all so encouraging people to do whatever they can and encouraging them to be honest with themselves like you know look you know when people say like i could give up all land animals, but I could never give up cheese. And if you ask them, what are they eating now? They'd say, well, everything, all land animals and cheese. And imagine saying to them, well, why don't you then give up all land animals, but keep eating cheese? They'd go, I never thought of that before. Like that's (laughs) brilliant. Like I never thought about like, oh my God. And it gives people permission to at least do what they can from where they're at. And then you know what? People will keep doing the right thing because it feels good, because they learn more, because now they don't feel guilty that they're eating everything. So they're willing to look at some of the videos because they're not eating some of it. So we just have to just encourage people to do everything they can. Um, and, and it makes a huge difference because imagine, and thank you for being so honest, because it's not just mistakes we make. What if we do just want that cheese pizza? What if it is hard? What if we do miss it? What if everybody else is eating this thing and we feel like an outcast? These are all very real experiences for people. And imagine someone coming to you and saying, you suck. You don't even belong in the vegan club because you want pizza. You're not a real vegan. Just stop it right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, okay, like I, I just wanted to just try Like, right. it's not okay. We need to support people from where, wherever they're at. And that means whether you're an individual, a friend or a celebrity, the way people talk about the, the, you know, the kind of, when people revert to, um, you know, what, what, I mean, revert, just eating an animal product or, or whatever, whatever it is, or reverting back to not, you know, not being vegan. Do you think they want to come back in that club again? Quote unquote club. I don't think it's a club, but do you think they want to come back into a community of people who are judging them and criticizing them? That's the last place they're going to want to go. So you know where they're going to want to stay with the people who don't criticize them and watch every move they make and, and call them out for every, everything they do. So you tell me which one, which community you want to be part of. And. But, you know, I mean, that that's a huge aspect of this is is encouraging each other and not not sitting there on our high horses because because we forgot that we also once ate animal products and liked them. Yeah, I liked it. Like I liked chicken. I liked it. Right. You liked the cheese pizza. We that's it was good. Right. So we just we we don't even admit that. And, and, And in not admitting it, I think it puts us on this self ascribed plane, higher plane that then, you know, from which, you know, we look down on everybody else. And I think that's a mistake. I completely agree. And I think that that attitude needs to be 
had by more people, more and more vegans in the community because it, I mean, most of us did not start off vegan or vegetarian. A lot of us were eating what it, what is it that you say fluids and flesh and fluids, flesh yeah. and fluid i mean <laughs> when you put it that way it's 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 so true and so unpleasant sounding but a lot yeah, of us is. were eating flesh and fluids and it's not like we can pretend that we weren't a lot of us were uh, there's a very small amount of us that were vegan from the start i wish i was but i, w- I wish i was raised vegan but that's just not the way it was and you know, not the way it is for a lot of people so it's not like we should try to pretend or put ourselves on some high horse or a pedestal rather that we weren't eating meat because we were so let's not pretend otherwise um and i think that's so important to keep in mind for fellow vegans in the community is not to judge one another i mean obviously every i do it accidentally sometimes if (laughs) we're human we're human i think when it comes down to it we need to remember how important the community aspect of veganism is, especially because a lot of people who do go vegan don't have that community or support in real life. Um, they're, they're not really encouraged by their family or their friends to take that step towards veganism. So they need to find that community elsewhere online or, or through vegan events or, or something like that. So it's always important to be there for one another, uplift each other, not try to discourage one another from continuing on with this journey. It's important to to be there for each other and to uplift each other. And I think that you do such an amazing job at doing that. I think that a lot more people need to, to be thinking your way and coming from a point of compassion and joy and and showing that veganism is is about, it could be about accessing your your deepest you know ethics or beliefs and sticking to it and that and that's going to bring you more joy than you've ever really known so i think that that's such a beautiful message that you're sending out to your followers and your fans and your listeners and i hope some i hope it's something that the listeners on this episode take away as well because veganism can be about so many different things it could be about for for the animals or for the environment it could be for your health but it should it should also be for your mental health as well because if you do have these beliefs of wanting to be compassionate towards all living beings or or whatever it may be if you're sticking to it and and trying a vegan lifestyle it's going to bring you a lot of joy and a lot of happiness and that's something that is just like an extra aspect, extra bonus to mm-hmm. veganism. You are so wise, Harley. Thank you so much. You're so wise and so kind and so compassionate. And I'm so glad you're using this forum to spread the word and just be yourself and spread your fabulousness. So Aww. I'm so I'm so grateful you're doing this. And I look forward to listening to more episodes and, and may and may your podcast continue for 15 years. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Many, many years of joy and abundance. And so thank you so much for for letting me talk to your listeners on your show. And I look forward to staying in touch and having you in one of the cooking classes. That's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, yay. (laughs) That is the assured voice of somebody who's been podcasting for a long time. Mm -hmm. Boy, she like, you didn't even need to interview. You're just like, hi. And then she just took it and ran like that's you love a guest like that. 
Oh, absolutely. The editor loves the guest. The editor in you <laughs> loves the guest in her. Yeah. The idea that like somebody, she's my kind of person. She's like me in an interview. It's like, blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, blah. You asked. Here it is. Blah, blah, blah. I blah, love blah, it. Blah. I love it. That's what I live for. <laughs> um, she was, she was great, man. More of that, less of everything else. Well done. You're getting so good at this, especially because yes. now you don't even have to say anything. Um, we've made this whole show, uh, without pointing out the obvious. Thank God. It's audio only and not video. If it was video, you would see me with this pink dot on my head. Because <laughs> um, we had this little adventure right before. This is so weird. I, my entire life, I, maybe one person has ever popped a zit for me. Wow. And, I'm honored. And it was at my behest. I was like, can you get this? Um, I had this kind of zit on my forehead. And, and the kid was like, ooh, let me see. And I was like, really? And she looked and she was like, Oh, I want to pop it. And I was like, what? And she was like, no, I don't need to. And I was like, you can. I'm not, I'm not, I'm down. Just wash your hands for heaven's sakes. And she, I said, is there a head? And she said, yeah. And I was like, um, all right, go for it. And she fucking was so into the idea of popping it that she did go wash her hands. I did <laughs> come back. I prepared it with some like hot water, warm water or whatever the fuck. And then she went at it, man, which. I got to say, like, while it was happening, I was just like, you know, don't show the pain. Don't show the pain. <laughs> I was impressed. Um, but more more importantly, I was just like, this has got to be one of the top five, maybe ten most surreal interactivities of my life. This zit don't get popped unless this kid <laughs> comes out of my balls. Oh, my God. I gave I gave birth to my own zit popper. It was so strange. Wow! And then afterwards, she was just like, "I could put stuff on it," and it's stuff that essentially looks like calamine lotion. That's what we used to call it back in the day. It's a spot treatment. That's that what they call it now? Fancy ass fucking name. Treatment. Yes. (laughs) Um. So I'm sitting here with my cap like pulled up, and this uh, this clearly, you know, fucking blemish, as the as the kids today (laughs) say, but zit former zit as we used to say back in the day um and she fucking just destroyed it well done if i i i've previously said that if i weren't doing what i'm doing i would be a therapist but i also would be an esthetician i you love, love zits. you're like i because it's productive live for it it's productive. i love you're it. like look i could see the the fruits of my labor i push these two things together and a little friend comes out and says, hi. It, it does. <laughs> I, I beg Austin to let me pop his pimples. Um, I don't even want to ask where his are. <laughs> you wash your face every day, right? A couple times? Twice a day. Are you fucking serious? Twice a day. You're looking at a face that never gets washed unless I take a shower. I. That's pretty impressive for the lack of pimples that you have. Thank you. I appreciate that. You just got so serious. Because uh, I think you're right. I'm like, you're absolutely right. I'm, I think I'm a walking commercial for either, well, I got good skin for my parents. So for I have veganism. To do with it. No, because I've never had to, like, I've never washed my face. Oh, really? I've never had to. Just say it's for veganism. I ain't going to lie to these people. We we butcher bullshit. We slaughter just, misinformation. Just, it helps. It's definitely good for your skin. But this, I, I my argument is like, you know, that's you can't wash it too much. Can't overwash it. Do so you want to know what I do? Tell me. Okay, so in the morning, yeah, I wash my face. Yeah, I use a toning pad with some sort of alcohol tone cleanser. for for color or for 
it's like toning you up like as if you work out or something. No, I it's well, it's called toner, but it, it's more it's it has some sort of acne treatment on it. Okay. Um, and I think it might help with like the color, getting the color even on your skin. I don't I actually don't even know. <laughs> and then <laughs> I tell you, I don't put nothing in my body. Listen, I know what it is, but on my face I don't kill. And then I put lotion on 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 my face and then at oh my night god you're like your mother so much time at night i wash my face and then i put lotion on and then i put an acne treatment on top of my lotion and then i put eye cream on because my eyes get puffy um and then i put the little pink spot treatment on so i don't <laughs> you're so vain yeah, you do feel very you vain. probably thought that song was about you you're so... really that's a lot of fucking time where'd you learn all this shit other uh, girls J- jennifer did that to you the internet the internet society why don't you do like a youtube series like who's that james person that does makeup James Charles. Wait, is yeah, that his name? James Charles or Charles James or something like ja- that. What's his name? Oh my gosh, know. I feel like an I feel like an old person. Ah, <laughs> welcome to my world. Um, yeah, man, fucking start like doing tutorials. Start doing zip popping on videos and shit. I, Isn't homeboy looking to do some videos when he gets to Dallas? Yeah. There you go. Fucking just people love watching people pop zits. There's a fucking TV show about it, there right? Is. I, uh, Did you ever watch it? I I look at their Instagram a lot. Dr. Just to Pimple see the, Popper? Yeah, yeah. Yes, Just I to see like the the money shots of like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's so fucked up. What a what a weird, wonderful world we live in where that is a TV show. I love it. <laughs> it's for sure a guilty pleasure. I gotta be honest with you, I I never trusted many people to fuck with my face. Like a qualified, what are they called? An esthetician? No, esthetician. esthetician. I've had a facial or two in my lifetime and shit, but um. That that was trust. I was like, go for it. Now I was honored. If tomorrow I'm like a scarred mutant, <laughs> I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna cut the same hole into your head and be like, how's it feel? You'll be in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, thank you for doing that, and thank all of you for tuning in and listening, man. What a great time we've had. Um, at least over here, you cats are probably like, wrap it up, and we are wrapping it up for vegan abattoir. I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Get out of our vegan abattoir.